The following podcast is an audio version of a live show that takes place daily on Crowdcast. To join our live audience, visit our Crowdcast website at crowdcast.io slash in lieu of fun. That's crowdcast.io slash in lieu of fun. And we are live. It is Monday, May 11th, 2020, 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Time in Brisbane, Australia, which is relevant to uh, our current show for reasons that will momentarily become apparent. Uh, Boris Johnson says, quote, I hope, I hope, I hope for a vaccine, but it is, quote, by no means guaranteed. We have no Kim Jong-un news for you, but Kate has an important Murder Hornets update. Is this the one Murder Hornet update that you gave me? Duh. <laughs> okay, the Murder Hornet update is that there's no, that the LA Times and the New York Post are both reporting that panic over murder hornets might lead to the murder of bees, which yeah, is exactly what murder hornets do. Right, so- Yes, murder hornets literally don't murder humans when they can. Might be at risk because we're panicking over murder hornets. In good murder hornet news, however, uh, WBAL in Baltimore is reporting that it, quote, might be years before the murder hornets reach Maryland. So for all of you Maryland residents, you got years to go. We're not allowed to have fun anymore. The murder hornets are creeping their way across toward Maryland and uh, we're killing bees in the meantime. Everything sucks, but in lieu of fun, we have an incredible conversation for you today on the Facebook Oversight Board about which I know so vanishingly little compared to Kate that I'm just gonna shut up and let her introduce our guests and uh, uh, describe the run of show for today. When Ben asked me to do this show, like without any warning, he just cold called me on Twitter and was like, I wanna do this show with you, will you do it? And I bet he never knew that we would have like roughly like one third of all of our shows would be about the oversight board. You know, I knew it's it all was I an obsession about. of yours, but like I was not, did not propose, Kate, that we do this show in order, if I wanted to do a show that was entirely about my singular fixations and areas of interest, I would have done it by myself. That's true. And if I'd wanted to do it only with somebody who, uh, is interested in the same things that I am, I would have asked, you know, Quinta Jurassic or Susan Hennessy. The idea was to diversify. And so this is an area where Kate knows about as much as anybody else in the world, including she can just say, hey, let's have a Meet the Oversight Board episode. And she calls up a bunch of members of the Oversight Board and here they are. So Kate, who do we have? I'm so happy um, to introduce. Uh, I'm going to start with Jamal. Jamal is uh, Jamal Green is um, a professor of law at Columbia, and um, he is a scholar on uh, free expression and the First Amendment. And he is a chair of the Oversight Board. Um, Nick uh, Nick Suzer is coming calling in from where? What city are you in? 
Brisbane, Australia. Uh, Brisbane. Calling Hence from Brisbane. The earlier reference to Brisbane, Australia time. Oh, yeah. Sorry. See what I did there, Kate? I did see what you did there. Oh, my God. Ben, you know I can't pay attention to things you're saying and prepare for bios. I know, I, I, you time. can't pay attention to things I'm saying. It's, <laughs> it's like no one should. Um, Nick is a professor at Queensland Tech and uh, the also on the oversight board. Uh, he is a scholar of content moderation. He has a wonderful book called Lawless, which is all about uh, internet governance. Um, and it's one of, one of my favorite books on the subject. Um, and then uh, John Samples is the vice president of the Cato Institute and is also working on a book about uh, tech companies and their influence on uh, democracy. And he is also a member, member of the Oversight Board. So thanks for coming on, guys. And it's just that short notice. We do not have to spend this entire time talking about the Oversight Board. It's just kind of, it, like, it's just fun to have all of you together. And I like all of you separately. <laughs> Even if you hadn't been named to the Oversight Board, I would have invited you on the show. Just FYI. So, <laughs> um, yeah, I guess I'll start off with just kind of asking, um, like how you felt about the reaction to uh, to the announcement uh, last week, how you, you know, how you feel like it went. Um, you're in different places hearing different things. Um, yeah. So I'll jump in. Uh, I, I think the announcement has gone pretty well from our perspective. Uh, I, you know, there's been uh, a lot of, I think, pretty pretty positive coverage about the members of the board. And I'm, I'm pretty proud of the members, uh, including the ones who are on this uh, call. Uh, we've got a lot of thoughtful people, a pretty good diversity of views. Uh, you know, I think there's been some, uh, some what, I'd, what I'd call kind of constructive criticism uh, about the kind of scope of the board and what it, what it can actually accomplish. And those are kind of the same kinds of, que kinds of questions that uh, that we all have uh, about this thing, right? It's it's a it's it's a, a something that hasn't existed before now, uh, and we're all trying to we're sort of there at the at the beginning and trying to build something. Uh, so uh, there's going to be challenges, and we're we're all aware of that. Uh, but uh, but I think uh, most of the most of the coverage I've seen has been you know pretty accurate and pretty fair. You guys think the same? Uh, I would agree with that. I'll just jump in. Uh... Uh, I mean, going into this, you never can tell with something like this how the reaction is going to be. And so uh, I think it's been, uh, I would say, people are willing to give it a chance. I think that's because the view was widespread that we didn't necessarily know was widespread, which is people have some uh, some sense that the status quo is not stable, that you can't go on the way you are. And yet the alternatives down the line are probably uh, worse than this. So this really needs to be given a chance. And I think that um, that came through. Uh, I do hope, I mean, one yeah, in thinking about this, I've noticed these things like there's the board and I really wanted to see it work, but I, there's also these things you have to do as a person. And so someone was telling me last week, uh, I was complaining about something or somebody said, and he said, you know, uh, I have one great advantage over you and uh, in these matters and it's pay no attention. I pay no attention to these things. And I think that's my aspiration to pay 
no attention to the stuff that's superfluous and irrelevant and to pay attention to the people that have constructively critical things to say. That's going to be my goal as a uh, good scout going down the line. So I'd like to, to ask you each to describe how you came to be on the Facebook Oversight Board. Was it something you applied for? Was there uh, a past set of interactions with Facebook? What were the like, you know, it's a little bit like I, I understand how somebody, you know, gets on the Supreme Court, but uh, now there's the sort of famously dubbed the Supreme Court of Facebook, and the process by which you all ended up on it is not entirely obvious to me. I, I mean, it, it's, um, and so if you could each, uh, you know, start with uh, Nicholas, but like, how did, how did it happen? Like, what's, what's the, uh, did you just get a phone call one day uh, or maybe a Facebook direct message or a, a, a messenger message? Like, how did it happen? I think they have AI for that these days. Um, <laughs> no, so it's been a it's been a long a long journey for me. Um, I've been working in this area for you know about a dozen years since my PhD and sort of. And what area? When you say that, is that content moderation? Yeah. Is it? I, I've kind of been shouting at people or groups like Facebook and other social media platforms about legitimacy. Um, essentially, all of my work over the last decade has been making the, the core point that these uh, social media companies and tech platforms have a huge amount of power over our lives. Uh, for a long time, right, th this is a sentiment that's been building. And I think there was a, an interesting turning point a few years ago when Facebook really felt the sort of pressure to to change the way that they were doing things. Uh, and so over the last couple of years, I've been doing a little bit of um, consultation on and off with Facebook uh, about trying to trying to actually improve their processes. So um, just on content policy or uh, in particular with, with this, we've, we had a couple of sessions with them on the oversight board. Uh, Kate obviously was there as well and where we provided feedback on on the structure to make sure that it was independent and, and had the bylaws and the charter were as strong as they could be. Uh, so I had some existing relationship with those teams and then I applied for a web portal and the rest I uh, probably have to ask uh, Jamal for, for more insight here, but the as, as I understand it, the uh, chairs were largely responsible for that selection process and I interviewed with, uh, with one of the other chairs and here I am. John and Jamal, how did you end up involved? Mm, well, I, a similar uh, situation, except uh, in, somewhere in a lot of ways, like uh, I've been in, working in the area, I've been working in free speech for 20 years or so, but in this particular area, much shorter time than Nick. But uh, I think he may have gotten there first, but at some point it occurred to me that legitimacy was the issue here. They were clearly gonna try to do content moderation. And they had to figure out how it could become legitimate. And I had this view that it was, uh, again, the best alternative going forward, at least uh, for the time being. It may turn out that other possibilities exist and are better, I don't know, but we gotta find that out. So that all interested me and it interested me that the, you know, the future of free speech in many ways was here rather than in DC, which is why I'm uh, sitting here in Menlo Park now. 
Um, so there was all of that. And then I frankly uh, thought that uh, I was, I guess I said to someone, I don't remember that I was interested in this, but I didn't hear anything for a long time. And so I thought actually uh, that it was going on somewhere else and someone else had been selected. So I was quite surprised when uh, this whole process started. The process Nick describes is correct. And so it went on, but when I got the first phone call, I had long ago uh, given up that there was going to be any kind of uh, chance for me, actually. Um, so, yeah, it's, uh, I think it's interesting to me that we both sort of came toward the legitimacy question uh, from different uh, points of view, actually. There's other questions that are important, but uh, that's a kind of core one, I think. And I think I, I, you know, one doesn't always know how how you get the attention of uh, of Facebook. I, I didn't apply for the position uh, in any way. Uh, I was aware of the of the idea uh, from just some of my own work in constitutional law and some of my own work in. I worked at the Knight First Amendment Institute for a year uh, with uh, Jamil Jaffer, uh, but I uh, but I first heard from. Uh, them and there was a whole process or there was a public process of, of people submitting names. There were a bunch of workshops that Facebook engaged in. Um, there were lots of stakeholders that they consulted with. Uh, and then as the co-chairs got involved, um, they did some of that interviewing uh, and selection as well. And uh, you know, I think I probably got to people's attention, you know, maybe from some of my academic work. I've written a lot about uh, the the how you how you deal with conflicts of rights um how do you deal with situations in which you've got to balance a bunch of different values uh and uh and you've got a bunch of different stakeholders uh what kinds of decision processes should you use uh and i've, I've done that in a way that's sort of critical of uh of the way americans think about rights typically so i, I that probably got some people's attention um uh, uh so you know, I got I got a phone call in or an email uh, in October, uh, and then I didn't I joined the uh, the board about a month or two ago as a co-chair, uh, and joining the other three co-chairs at that at that stage. Gotcha. Yeah. No. So this this the we have a question from Michael Waxenberg that I think is kind of great. Um, I went down a giant rabbit hole of trying to understand legitimacy. And like, I think, I think in like August and September when I was working on this paper, because I was simultaneously trying to write it while watching the process of building it unfold, which by the way, I would never recommend to anyone. <laughs> like I am, it's, um, it's very, it's very, very difficult um, to kind of have perspective on something. And I just, I feel like things are only finally gelling in the last couple of weeks, uh, the last couple of months. But I went down this huge rabbit hole in legitimacy and I remember Nate personally, who's been on the show and you guys, I think both all of you pretty much know, Nate said something at what, after one of the workshops that Facebook held, you know, that he kind of like closed the meeting basically with this great comment of just like, listen, it took the Supreme Court of the United States 20, 20 years to get legitimacy. Like it wasn't always legitimate. It's this thing that kind of happens over time. And, um, you know, uh, there's no like precise formula for it. Uh, and so you just really kind of have to wait and see. And I think it's, um, and to that extent, I think that kind of is a great lead into like Matt, Michael's question, 
Uh, Michael, do you want to go ahead and ask? Thanks, Kate. I don't know if I can live up to that preamble. Uh, great panel as always. I was just wondering, uh, since legitimacy is a goal I think we can all endorse, I was wondering how each of you individually kind of uh, define that term and how you'll measure your success toward achieving it and whether the board has tackled that question together yet. So I, I can start uh, with, with uh, I, the, the second question is easy, no, <laughs> um, we, haven't, <laughs> uh, we haven't defined it together. We haven't met together very much and that's um, part of what we're gonna be doing a lot of over the summer virtually. Uh, we've been, uh, the process has been slowed down uh, quite a bit uh, by coronavirus issues. Uh, and my answer to the first question, sort of how do you define legitimacy? It's a great question. Uh, uh, and I, I, I'm inclined to answer it the way, you know, a famous Supreme Court justice answered it, which is, which is, you know what, when you see it, uh, if we if we get to a, a place Yeah, he where, was describing legitimacy, right? Right, he was talking exactly about, about legitimacy uh, of a sort. Um, uh, you know, I, I, I think, I think if we, if, if, if two years from now, three years from now, four or five years from now, let's say if it's if it's obvious that this board should still exist um then that's a that's that that's probably a good thing uh in terms of uh, its success uh, i think uh if it's made a bunch of decisions that uh facebook disagrees with but uh that uh were implemented and led to constructive conversation about the limits of free expression or um, how far it should you know how far it should go um, that's that means that we've been successful. Uh, I think the board is the board's trying to be transparent. It's trying to be a, a body that you know gives reasons for things and doesn't just um, in, you know, spit out decisions. And so, are people reading our decisions? Are they is it is it leading to real engagement about some difficult questions? Uh, that's the measure of success. I don't know that I could be any more specific than that. Uh, uh, if you know if, if we're doing our job. Uh, uh, and if uh, and you know if uh, Facebook is um, also living up to its own commitments, which uh, I'm, I'm optimistic about, but but who knows what the future holds? Um, then uh, then then that'll be uh, I will consider it a, a job well done. So I I think this is such a great question, and to to echo some of Jamal's um, points here, uh, what I think the this. The reason I think it's a great question is because it highlights the the sort of different um, understandings of of legitimacy that are that are out there. And so, you know, I, I think of legitimacy in sort of two main ways. The the first uh, being normative legitimacy, what we what we kind of think we ought to expect uh, in a more theoretical sense, and empirical legitimacy, which is do people actually, as a social fact, accept that a body like Facebook has a right to exercise its power? in the way that they do and that sort of division I'm, I'm not terribly concerned in this role with Facebook's side of that problem I think that where the the reason that Facebook has been pressured to improve its processes is that it is losing legitimacy and it has been under sustained attack for quite a long time to the point where it has been uh, forced to take on some measures to improve the way that it does things so you know, you, you might think that there could be a, a measure of whether Facebook is arbitrating or deciding, sorry, enforcing its rules in a way that is more accepted to 
the, the people who are affected. I'm less concerned with that bit than I am with the normative side uh, that I think about in you know two main ways: the the procedural aspect of legitimacy. You know, historically, when we talk about what it means to govern in a legitimate way, there's been a component of due process or of rule of law or some of these values that mean that the rules have to be transparent. They have to be applied in a fair way. They have to be knowable in advance. They have to be, um, there has to be a good route for appeal. And hopefully the people should feel like they are, they are heard and a, governed in a, in a fair way um, procedurally. But there's also a really important substantive content to that, which is much, much harder. And that's where uh, the rules should reflect some justifiable vision of the common good. And I think that where we've landed here as, a, as an oversight board is probably the best we can do on that substantive thicker part of legitimacy, which is we do have international human rights and they're, they're the yardstick for where we start to measure the uh, substantive value of uh, the rules that Facebook are, are applying. And so those two concerns are what I'm hoping to achieve. How do we actually measure success. I don't think that there is an end state of success. I don't think that this is a binary question where we, so we, are, we can say that we have now achieved legitimacy. This is going to be an incredibly hard thing to do. And our job here, as I see it, is really to pressure Facebook to do better on all of these measures. And see, I, I have a more incremental view of success if we're in a better position than we were previously on these, on these two uh, points, then I think that we've done a good job, but I always think there's going to be room for improvement and ongoing work. So on the question of legitimacy, I, I think we will find it as we go along. And I agree with Nick's distinctions. I, I, I guess I would add more along the lines. Uh, I come from when I was working on this, I sort of uh, I did a lot of stuff about Max Weber at one time. And so I sort of slapped myself in the head that we were back to Weber again, right? And one of Weber's ideas about legitimacy, and this is largely an empirical conception, is about rational legal legitimacy and rational legal authority, which is the procedural element, the rule of law. This is a thing, actually, we should mention, since our host is, is here, uh, that Kate got to this quite early. At the end of the new governors is really talking about, and some of our other papers, is talking about the need for process, right, and how you inject process. And so I, I sort of circle back to that quite a bit. But I do think the empirical part, which is the idea that, you know, you'll exercise a kind of authority, but, and people may not like the results, but they'll accept it, right? They'll accept the, the board, they'll accept the process. And, and how do you get there? That's an empirical outcome, uh, ultimately. And if we can't do that, if we can't reach that acceptance among, generally speaking, among users, then uh, we're going to have to look for something else, right? Uh, on the normative side, uh, I have a lot of those same interests, although I'm probably more from uh, a kind of a liberal, uh, liberal individualist point of view. I really, I'm toying with the idea that if you look at uh, what's being done in content moderation, it does seem like uh, not only Facebook, but a lot of the uh, companies are working with something like a harm principle. And uh, as, uh, of course, you pull the harm principle up and everyone thinks John Stuart Mill. And in fact, uh, of course, that was his idea. The question is, 
that was uh, one essay with one sort of conception and it's something to build on. It's not something that you apply, you know, you just don't pull it out of On Liberty and apply it. But it's, I think, a flexible idea that we're going to try to fill out. And I think it's a workable one because the other side of the legitimacy element that I personally keep forgetting and maybe others don't is I grew up in the United States. All my work has been about the United States, et cetera. This board is not just about the United States, right? Uh, uh, some portion of the uh, users of Facebook certainly are from the United States, but far greater numbers aren't. And so these ideas, these normative ideas have to be persuasive to a broader set of people beyond one culture, uh, one nation, one group of people. Actually, and that's that's sort of a, and I, I I I have a hypothesis that the harm principle can do that for us, uh, but I don't know that that's true. And if it can't, I'll change my mind down the line. I just want to say that I'm super disappointed that none of you said you were going to use your positions on the oversight board to just silence your enemies. Um, but, <laughs> but it's not too late. Some, somebody somebody <laughs> should have said. Uh, I am here to uh, punish enemies and advantage friends, and because uh, that is my conception of justice. To smite them from Facebook in years. <laughs> You're like, um, I'm going to go to David's question, but in the interest of doing something a little bit not the oversight board, I'll make fun of myself. And you you referencing Weber, I cannot hear about like Max Weber's name and not think about my first year in the PhD program at Yale when I was in a seminar with some very, 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 very smart people. And I felt like kind of a hayseed and, uh, you know, was like doing all the, like doing all the stuff, doing all the reading, thought I was doing fine. And my professors just kept mentioning, people kept mentioning like Weber, Weber. And I was just like, wow did we read weber like i didn't read weber like did any like who is this weber guy and um you know like went home googled could not find weber like could not find it um yeah i was spelling oh. it v-a-b-e-r right. and i, I actually How wrote an email it? to my colleagues like I only had two other people in my PhD cohort. I've never wanted to drop out of a program so much as when I got their reply back, but they were like, I was like, hey, who's this Weber guy? Is he a Yale? Is he just like a thing at Yale? Like, is he just like some, like, is he just something? And uh, then like, literally I sent the email and it was like, click, click, click. I was like, oh my God. Like, it was like it's, it's, it's Max Weber. There is, yeah. Anyways, yeah. it just finally clicked. I just was like, I'm uh it was it was yeah pretty it's, embarrassing. It's uh it's we, Luke's father, right? What do you say? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's we Luke's all have father. things that closely you related. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, things we believed long after we were old enough to know better. David Clinch, mm -hmm. the floor is yours. Uh thank you. Hope you can hear me. Sorry about the incidental noise. I'm walking my dog in a forest while I'm listening to you. <laughs> that is, that Sounds is nice. what everyone should Good. be doing. Yeah, so just a very quick question, and it's a bit rhetorical, but nevertheless, um, what level of expertise do you consider the oversight board members to have at this moment in relation to how information and specifically mis and disinformation uh, happen and spread on all of the Facebook platforms? And 
what, if any, steps do you uh, have planned to prepare yourselves, the board, to address that issue in terms of obviously not a broad knowledge, but a specific expertise and level knowledge? So that's a really interesting question. And let me broaden it a little bit, actually, because I'd be interested to just as a general matter in what sort of tr uh, uh, training that you guys are going to be given. Um, you know, is this a situation where the next tomorrow you start uh, getting cases or is there a sort of end-to-end uh, uh, -end learning Facebook system that goes with it? So just, uh, I mean, address David's question specifically about this information, but also like, what's the training regimen gonna look like? So I, I can certainly speak to the training regimen, which I think is, uh, is partly also relevant to D David's first question, uh, which is, uh, no, we're not hearing cases right away. That, that, that I think won't happen uh, for at least a few months. And part of the reason for that is, to, is for training purposes. Uh, there, are, there are elements of training that we would be able to go through uh, more efficiently if we were able to meet in person and have you know a few days of seminars together, but nobody can do that on Zoom, and so uh, it's it ends up being strung out for a longer period of time. And there there is a a kind of step by step learning process that we're all going to be going through, involving uh, Facebook and Instagram's uh, platforms, uh, their interface, uh, how they how Facebook thinks about content moderation, how it thinks about human rights, uh, those kinds of questions uh, before we get into uh, and uh, actual, well, I say actual, but mock cases uh, in which uh, we will uh, also uh, receive uh, lots of information and talk to each other as well about um, dealing with, uh, uh, with uh, the various buckets that the, the board's going to be dealing with. Uh, I, I'll say uh, just in, in general that um, uh, the, the, the board members are, and, and, and Nick and John can speak to this a little bit uh, from their own particular, particular perspectives, but the board members were chosen uh, along a number of different uh, measures of diversity. Um, some of those measures have to do with um, particular knowledge and depth of knowledge of uh, of social media, but there's also expertise in human rights. There's also expertise in um, journalism. There's also expertise in law, uh, and so uh, and, so, and institution building. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, you know, one of my co-chairs is a you know a politician, <laughs> um, uh, among other things. Uh, so. Um, so, so, so there's a range of expertise on the board, but we're not relying on the board itself to generate all of the substantive knowledge that you have to generate to solve, to solve these cases. Um, we have a staff, uh, an administrative staff, that will be doing a lot of uh, providing, um, and they'll con contract with others to provide substantive knowledge in particular areas. In a global company, you know, even if we did have some knowledge about disinformation and misinformation, we would still need to supplement that quite a bit uh, from the outside, and and that's going to that's going to be part of what we do. I so, think that's a that's a really interesting point. Sorry, Ben. No, um, no, just go to, ahead. Go ahead. Just to quickly jump in there because it's something that I've been thinking about a lot, right? Um, for for a number of years now, which is 
we're, we're never going to be able to be experts on everything that is brought before us. Um, and, you know, some of us have, have some experience in various matters, but the, the core issue, I think, for us to work out over the next few months is how we're going to work out what we don't know and bring in that expertise into the decision-making process. Uh, I think it's going, you know, and it's not just, um, you know, even if you look at something like disinformation, misinformation, there are so many regional and culturally specific aspects of that, that it's going to be incredibly difficult for any one person to be across everything that uh, that they need to know. And then to be able to be effective as a member of a team with people who do not have that sort of in very deep uh, expertise in, in as, a, as someone, as a scholar specific on misinformation might have. And so so I see this as a big challenge um, and, you know, Siva Vadiyanavan's written um, a little bit about this over, over the last week or so. Uh, and I, I take that seriously, that criticism and concern, because I do think that we are going to be faced with these types of problems very quickly. So I think what we, um, what I'm really interested in here is Jamal's already mentioned this, um, the sort of expertise that we'll be able to draw on within the board, but I think that there's going to be a lot of work that we need to do to draw in better context as we hear decisions to make sure that we are aware of the particular issues that, are, that uh, people are actually facing. I think that's something that if we uh, that we'll never be perfect at, but if we are mindful about, we can try to draw in the expertise that we need as we go to um, to to inform the decisions. All right, so I want to be uh, a nudnik here and just uh, pose the question of Facebook's motivations, because uh, we had you know Noah uh, Feldman on talking about the sort of origins of the board, and I. Uh, you know, his uh, account of it was uh, like plausible on its face. And yet I have this reaction that companies do not set up, uh, you know, boards to oversee themselves and reduce their flexibility to deliver value to their shareholders without some very good and specific reason. And I find it a little bit hard to believe that the reason could be anything as diffuse uh, and gauzy as legitimacy. Um, and so I want to ask you all, what does Facebook get out of this? Is this deferral of regulation? Is this fear of being kind of banned in places? Is it fear of being disliked? What is Facebook maximizing by doing this that is tangible value to its shareholders and particularly its majority shareholder? So, so I'll take a swing at this. Uh, I think if you uh, think over the long term, and one of the first things when I first talked to Facebook employees was they told me about Mark Zuckerberg, that when you see him, he, he generally talks about five years into the future about where the company is going to be. So if you think over a longer term and you look at the status quo, you might really believe that this isn't sustainable. And so if we just keep doing what we've, we've been doing, in fact, we're going to fall pretty far below uh, that uh, bringing value to our, our shareholders. 
and so we've got to look at some practical solutions to it. And then they, you know, uh, they put in uh, substantial support for this. They thought a lot, brought a lot of talent to bear uh, on this issue uh, to try to create some independence. It's the other element that beyond legitimacy I and mean, the people at Facebook or the oversight board that I've met don't talk about legitimacy all that much. They talk about independence and uh, having someone outside of Facebook help make these decisions. So I guess I could, the, the sort of hard nosed idea that I would say is, I think you can see this as a good business decision down the line, if it can be, if it works, because the alternatives are really actually going to be much lower from the shareholders point of view. Now, that having been said, I have to say, having lived 20 years where uh, Ben is right now, Washington, D.C., I was struck when I came out here and started meeting with the people that talked about all this stuff. Um, having been in D.C. 20 years, all of the idealism, I, I didn't think idealism existed anymore, right? Uh, these people working on this board, I don't know, I can't speak for the upper le levels of the company, but the people working on the board were very idealistic and they thought they were doing something that could really make the world better. And I found that really refreshing, actually, and I was, uh, I hadn't seen it for a while. So that may be me and not DC. I'll, I'm open to that. But uh, I'm also not sure that this was a business decision completely so, but I can see how it could be. Because I think that's actually the, this, the justification I gave, I think is actually true, right? Uh, if things just go on as they are, you're not going to be, uh, it's not a good business decision. It's not best for the shareholders in the longer run. I think, what do you think? Well, I, I just wanted to amplify it because I think that's a really, the, the last bit of what John said, I think is really important is I, I can't, you know, I can't get inside of Mark Zuckerberg's head, you know, I could, I could make guesses about what his particular motivations are and how they relate to regulation and so forth. But they'd be they'd be pretty bad guesses. Um, from from my from my perspective, it's not something I've particularly studied. Uh, but, you know, the nature of an organization or if Facebook is a they not an it, right, it's the nature of an organization, you, 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 the, the leadership, you know, get assigns people a task and the people who've been building this out uh, have, in my experience, been extremely serious people um, who really want this to work, um, regardless of whatever someone's initial motivation might have been. Uh, it's it's like it's got its own life now, uh, and now that the board is up and running, um, the members uh, are s significantly responsible for its success, and there are a number of, of of safeguards of its independence, such that it at some level it doesn't really matter what the initial subjective motivation might have been, the, you know, we're here. Um, and uh, and again, I think the people on the Facebook side uh, who've been tasked with this have taken it extremely seriously, at least in my, in my experience as a co-chair. I've been thinking about this in terms of uh, constitutionalization, right? If you look at the, well, the history of how we impose limits on governing power, the, it, it, you're right. It, it, we would never expect a company to um, just 
decide to limit its power just we don't expect a, a, a government to decide spontaneously for the good of its people to to limit its power these things only come about as a response to intense external pressure and sustained external pressure from all fronts so we've seen seeing that pressure exercised on facebook over the last decade from its advertisers who are sick of the um, who are sick of the lack of um reliability and are concerned about the substantive content of policies. We've seen it from regulators, we've seen it from user base, we've seen it from all over. And it's that pressure that uh, forces a change in how organizations constitute themselves, how they uh, try to respond. And I think that's the opportunity. So it's out of that pressure that we are born and get and uh, have this opportunity to keep going. But it's something that we have to keep up. It's something that everyone who cares about how our online social spaces are governed have to keep up in order to ensure that the responses align with various visions of, of the way that we think our rights ought to be protected online. So there's a huge role here in an ongoing way for NGOs and journalists who've been doing this accountability work in the past and government regulators as well to keep that up in order to uh, continue to, to improve and, and ensure that Facebook does um, fulfill its side of the bargain here, which is to devolve its power in a, in a legitimate way. Um. Ben, did you want to say something? Yeah, well, I wanted to give Ken Landa a chance to ask his question. Uh, Ken, the floor is yours. Uh, what's on your mind? Uh, thanks very much. I was just struggling with the mute button, which seems to be the org du jour this, uh, this season. Um, so thanks very much for, for welcoming me on. Um, and I appreciated the discussion earlier about a little bit about what's involved in standing up the board and self-organizing and training, et cetera. Um, timing's interesting. The U.S. election is very rapidly approaching. Um, and I'm wondering to what extent and, and how the board could be ready to deal with what might well be a pending misinformation and disinformation tsunami. Um, that's a tall order. Uh, am I right in suspecting that a case-by-case court-inspired model uh, can't really mitigate the problem by then um, you know, we watch how slowly common law tends to evolve, although there are examples of punctuated equilibrium. So I'm wondering uh, to what extent uh, does the board's timing coincide with global events and, and how do you, how does the board envision um, moving forward quickly with the amount of pressure that might be on it? Great question. I'm happy to, to take a, an initial stab at that. Uh, I think there are two points that I, that I'd make about this. So one is, and I, I think this is an important premise uh, that uh, that is important to me at least, is that while case-by-case case decision-making is one of the hats that the board wears, but it's not the only hat. So the, the hat also, the, the board also makes policy recommendations or has the capacity to do so um, on its own initiative in particular cases. We, we're gonna do a, a, an annual report uh, as well, uh, and Facebook can ask us for um, for policy recommendations, uh, and I, I take that seriously. It's not binding in the sense, same sense in which our individual case decisions will be binding, but it is public uh, and it is transparent, and it is something that Facebook has obligated itself to respond to. So that's a layer of accountability that I think is quite important. You know, we're not the we're not the the the, the CEO of Facebook. We're not going to control its its business decisions, but 
uh, but it does uh, provide a layer of accountability that doesn't ordinarily exist uh, in, with private companies. Uh, but that said, uh, the, you know, the question is, is really vital. I think it's on a lot of people's minds, uh, particularly in the United States. And I, I just think it's important to, uh, to set expectations at the right level. Uh, and I think you're, you're right to be hesitant about what those expectations are. The, a body set up in the way that this one is, is not going to you know, resolve all of the burning questions around the US elections. Uh, we're gonna be hearing our first cases probably not that long before uh, the election. And for, for me, and I think I speak for certainly a lot of members of the board, you know, this isn't this. This is not a project about the U.S. election. Uh, it's a much longer-term project. It's a much broader project than that as well. Uh, both within the U.S. and around the world, the number of issues that uh, that will come to the attention of the board is just uh, just dwarfs um, things that, that even seem uh, uh, really really important in the United States. So we're going to try to make sure that we don't let the apparent urgency of the election. Um, uh, push us to, uh, to to try to do more than we can. Um, obviously, you know, we joined the board because we think we want to do something meaningful and impactful, but at the same time, we've got to do the job right, and that's going to take some time to ramp up. Um, so, I, so, I, so I think it's important not to not to have that expectation. You know, we're we're going to approach this 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 thing with as much courage as we can, but um, but but also with um, with with good judgment. So. So the term, Sorry, go ahead. the term punctuated equilibrium reminds me of the dinosaurs, and I think I can affirm that we are not dinosaurs, and we will. Speak for I yourself, hope not, John. We will. We will never become dinosaurs. I hope. I'm pro dinosaur, so I, I I'm not <laughs> sure I like the anti-dinosaur bias of that. Uh, well, remark. there's always you might get punctuated. That's the problem. With <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> as long as I don't get punctured. Um, <laughs> so uh, I have a question, which is maybe a little bit uncomfortable. But one thing about the uh, uh, you know a court's independence or an a, a, an independent entity's independence is that it kind of depends on. Uh, you know, a certain degree of job security, irrespective of uh, whether the entity likes the results. So Congress and the executive branch don't get to fire the Supreme Court. And that's a key uh, element of the independence. So my question is, how is your all's independence structured vis-a-vis -vis Facebook, which is after all, the entity that hired you, uh, the entity that's uh, compensating you, and to the extent that you get reappointed at some point, the entity that reappoints. So what's the, um, uh, what are the protections here against kind of co-optation or regulatory capture on the part of the board? I will pref I will do a very, broad overview very quickly of like what the kind of the founding documents say about this, which is just basically that Facebook has said that they will uh, not like the a board member cannot be removed um, from for any of for, for a decision that it makes for they, that they make. Um, they can be removed for code of conduct violations and the code of conduct is very clear uh, kind of like what that is. Uh, I will say this is actually I think one of the more like less well and I 
I didn't offer very, I offered almost no advice as I was trying to go through this process and watch Facebook form this. And the one thing that I said was that they needed more rigor around their uh, removal procedures <laughs> and uh, they were poorly defined uh, and then pointed them towards everything from Joey Ito to Nixon's special prosecutor and no one paid any attention to me. But, but, <laughs> well, so, like, short but well short of removal, there's reappointment, right? No, I mean, no, that's, and the, no, that's totally clear. And I, they can, and you guys can talk about this, but basically like, there are a bunch of different types, I think, of like independence that you can have. I kind of like go into like a few of them. I had to break them up because I had to think about them in different ways, which is like financial independence, intellectual independence, like kind of all of these various types of independence that you can have because there was just so much in that one word. Like it, it's, it's not, that there, then there's no clear definition. Um, I would just say that the yeah that like being that this is still this is the thing that bothers i think to put a finer point on ben's question maybe um is let's say you guys you guys have three-year terms and then you're reappointed and then uh at right um simultaneously so that puts us at six years right or if people are reappointed but put the put, puts us at six years um six years is about how long the 130 million dollar grant that Facebook made to the oversight board is supposed to last. Um, does uh, the question then becomes in my mind, you have an entire staff of people that depend on the oversight board existing. You have like for like, you know, that like for their livelihood, like their jobs, like does there become some type of exit, like some type of pressure that gets created by like just the existence of all of this that in some way could could like possibly work against like your neutrality towards Facebook if you need a re-up of money in six years. I know, so, sorry. Uh, so I've, like, I've is, had a lot more time to think about these problems, yeah. by the way. <laughs> so every, every time I think that the public choice discipline and all of that stuff didn't get uh, taken seriously outside of libertarianism, we have discussions like this and I realized that we sort of swim in, in a, a sea where public choice, I mean, uh, Kate's question just now was a totally, my, my uh, ex-former colleague and deceased colleague, Bill Niskanen was all about principal agent problems and all that stuff. Um, and the truth is in six years, I can't say, I don't know what the situation will be. I, have, I think we all have some sense of how institutions can go wrong. Uh, part of the stuff we've done is, and we would hope to be alert to those kinds of things. Uh, I know there's all, I was during the process when I was just attending workshops, I was quite impressed with how uh, the research staff in various ways had, uh, for example, what I've just talked about, principal agent problems. They really took that seriously and, and uh, were excited that I asked a question about it, actually. That's the other thing. They had this long answer about it. So I, I was impressed by that because those kinds of questions usually uh, get short shrift in, the, in these kinds of design issues. I think they worked really hard on thinking about the design of institutions going into this. So I don't know what it's going to be like in six years. But I don't think they overlooked some of the issues that all of us should be concerned about. 
I'll just I'll just weigh in just on and I want to make sure that the that the facts are right about the about the the, the independence of the board. Uh, there is a trust. Um, there are trustees. We can't be removed by Facebook. Um, we can be removed by the trustees who are, who are um, contractually obligated to make decisions independent of Facebook and on the basis of uh, of our, the code of conduct. Uh, and that's sort of conflict of interest by the, those sorts of, of issues, um, rather than the decisions. We're not allowed to be removed for the decisions. Well, specifically, that also we that the trustees are in are like specifically their their duty is to the purpose of the board, and yes. not to Facebook. Yes, and and so we we don't we're not even we're not paid by Facebook. We're paid out of this ir irrevocable trust that was established. So, um, so no, that, that's you know, helpful. The question that Kate asks about so, what happens if the you know if it, if Facebook decides not to fund the trust you know is there some leverage that it has in some sense? I think that that's very difficult to remove, but uh, but I think that uh, it's designed as as about as well as it could be designed uh, to establish our, our independence. One of the things and that I, came oh sorry go ahead. I was just going to say that um, and I can only speak for myself, but I, I would imagine that this is true for everyone else on the board too, that that guarantee of independence is fundamental to my decision, at least, and I think everyone else's to, to participate. Um, if you if you think about this, because this is obviously, you know, in academic circles that this question of, of influence is incredibly important and there's been a long history of criticism of um, and concern about funding for academic research and influence over the things that, that we do. And I think that we all have a professional um, commitment to independent judgment here. And we see that as uh, as our responsibility. I think that the bylaws and the charter are well established as, as well as they can be, as Jamal says, to uh, to try to guarantee that. But all of us, I think, are personally committed to ensuring that we're not, uh, that, that as far as possible, we, we are able to resist that. I, I just want to say really quickly before we go to Sarah, um, because her question relates to, to, to like my follow up, which is that one of the things when I kind of brought some of these issues up in the course of all of this being, of, the, of them funding the trust and everything else was uh, one of the things that would come up was like, well, we don't know what's gonna happen in six years. This is definitely true. I don't know what's gonna happen in 60 days for the love of God. And like right now, like, I think that there's a, uh, there, but that was like specifically said with this in mind, which was that like maybe other people, maybe other players in industry will invest in the trust and create like a longer term, either create, like I have a whole theory about all of the different structures that could eventually play out um, from this for industry and individual players. Um, but uh, one of the things that was contemplated was like, well, maybe like Twitter will put a hundred million dollars into the trust. Um, and then it really becomes a lot less, like it becomes much, you know, and they and they set up their own oversight board and like it, the, the funds can get invested together or whatever. Um, and this brings us to Sarah's question. Um, uh, Sarah, do you wanna go ahead? Yes, thanks so much, everyone. Um, yeah, my thinking is that, you know, because Facebook is one of the biggest players in content moderation, there's a possibility of this board structure extending beyond Facebook to other platforms adopting it or even the whole industry adopting a single centralized board in the form of um, a Supreme Court of the internet, as many people have put it. 
So I'm curious um, whether you see this happening and if so, you know, how will this affect how the board will approach content moderation decisions as well as how each of you individually might um, approach the board? Can I have a go at that? Um, Please. I, I, I think that you know this is a this is a serious concern, and you know particularly people like Daphne Killer on your on your show has raised this uh, uh, this point seriously. I'm not sure that we need to worry about um, all of the major companies so much here. I think that we will we will see some diversity. I think at an outset we should say. I do think that other platforms need to be making this sort of investment in some system. I don't know that it needs to be this system. I hope that there is some diversity and experimentation to see and some competition to see which systems work best at holding uh, tech companies to account. The, the point I think that Daphne makes really well is that uh, smaller content moderation systems might adopt or fall back on, uh, on these sorts of uh, determinations if we making public determinations because it's cheaper or easier than making the the huge investment that's required to set up and i don't i don't have a good answer to that question except to say that i think if you look at the culture of a lot of large and small internet platforms, diversity is really key to what they provide in that we don't want an internet that feels the same everywhere. Uh, and that local rule sets and local norms are important to making sure that different platforms serve their particular communities in a way that's useful. So by personal uh, preference and not exactly by contract, I cannot be on any uh, radio or video without saying the word Hayek at least once. Uh, by, that I, by that I mean... Uh, I feel really sorry for you. Just get a t-shirt printed, John. <laughs> I, think it, I think it's that he, I, well, at least I like to think that his insights come up all the time. And so I'm a little, what that means in this context, Friedrich Hayek, uh, Constitution of Liberty, lots of other stuff. Uh, uh, about the use of knowledge in society, right? I'm a little uncomfortable with a centralizing and having sort of uh, one, and Daphne, uh, actually her comments went to this, I think after the board was announced, a little uncomfortable with a, a centralization that we have one model, that there's a brittleness, there's not a flexibility uh, about it, and that we're not exploring a lot of different options, right? So I like to look at the Reddit model. The Reddit model is very interesting to me. Uh, I'm aware of certain uh, problems with it or certain maybe limits to it. The other thing I would say about the board though is we're at the front end of this. It may be the case that what happens here is not that we become the dominant model that everyone adopts or everyone gets sucked up into the mothership. What may actually happen is we learn things that then are adapted to other contexts and other kinds of uh, social media or other kinds of uh, uh, activities on the internet. And those things we have to think, I think at some point we're gonna wanna think about how those are diffused. And fortunately there's the public policy literature has some discussions about that, how policy ideas get diffused. So I don't, I wouldn't think that we're headed toward one model uh, and I would sort of want the experimentation process, but the board itself is an experimentation process, you know, and maybe we'll have lessons more than a, a final model for everyone. And if I could uh, just add, add yeah, 20 seconds ahead, to that. Uh, 
uh, I, I think that the, the board is set up to have the capacity to take on other responsibilities or to take on other companies. Um, that's it's 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 way way premature to think um, that it might do that or to or to even know whether it's it would be a good idea to do that. Um, and so the normative questions that I think Nick and John are both pointing to are ones that that not just members of the board but the, you know, every, everyone interested in this will be thinking about and talking about, and hopefully we can learn something, right? And it may not take this form, um, but but hopefully we can um, we can contribute to the conversation. I think I will take my last. Or we're going to have to wrap, but I was going to take my last kind of couple of minutes to do two things. One was basically to say that like the trust has uh, like a substantial amount of power, in part because this like kind of industry involvement was imagined to create companies and other types of things. Um, and, you know, we've talked a lot about accountability, but like still like the only direct accountability that users have to the board is through this very limited means of appeal. Um, like one of the things that I would love to see happen is a way for users to, um, to, to raise issues to the board that they think there should be policy changes on absent appeal or things that they think that there should be changes in the founding documents on and amendments um, or like movements forward in like terms of jurisdiction. And there's no, there's nothing precisely like that right now. So I'm just gonna like put that out there as like kind of my, my as my as one of my um, thoughts. But the last thing is that Jamal, I want to invite myself to your Christmas at your house because you have the, as far as I can tell, the coolest family that's maybe ever existed, <laughs> which is like, you are like a Columbia law professor who does like free speech. And then your brother is uh, Talib Kwale. And like, I pretty much think that that must make you like your whole like family pretty awesome. And didn't you used to write for ESPN? Sports Illustrated. So Sports Illustrated. Which, which barely Jeez. exists anymore. I so. used to read Rick Riley from like age eight to 15, like every single issue. And then I realized that he, like the reason I read Rick Riley from ages eight to 15 was because that's the age he writes for. <laughs> and it's not that good. <laughs> I, I, uh, I take the fifth on that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so, yeah, it's like, anyways, it was just, it's so great to meet you guys, to see you all again. And to have you here is like kind of to meet the oversight board. This has been amazing. Thank you for coming. Yeah, thanks, thanks for, for coming, us. guys. It's been so much fun. Thanks yeah, a lot. Thanks for having us. Good. Thanks a lot. Yeah. So Kate, what's our sign off today? Oh no, I don't have one. I just, I was prepping for this. My sign off is my background. This is a picture that I took while I was at Facebook that I was like explaining this, I, like two weeks before I'd explained to somebody that like why the Facebook oversight board was happening. And someone was like, so it's like basically the oversight board is making, is like making some, it's like, is like making all of content moderation somebody else's problem. And then I walked through, you can't quite see it cause it's in reverse, but all of the, then I happened to walk through the, the um, a building at Facebook and they had posters all over that said, 
nothing at Facebook is somebody else's problem. And it just felt like it was like this. It just felt very, I was like, whoa, are they reading my mind and printing up propaganda before I get here? (laughs) I was hoping this was going to be your book cover. That looks great. I I can't. It's like, I'm sure it's copy. I'm probably going to get sued for putting it as my Zoom background. (laughs) Yeah, well, you're going to end up getting this episode taken down on YouTube again. Um, Sorry. But... Uh, this brings us to another, the end of another episode of In Little Fun, <laughs> which is brought to you by us. Um, anyway. Just do it, Ben. Just do it. I'm really yeah. terrible at this. Just do it, Ben. No, no, no. We're going to have, we're going to, we're going to do it. Uh, Kate's going to do it until she uh, nails it. Um, so tomorrow we're going to have Tim Miller, former uh, Republican uh, uh, uh uh, a street fighter political operative who is now out in the wilderness uh, uh, the, the, in the uh, world of, of never Trump pugilism will be joining us from Oakland. Um, and um, we will, uh, we've got an amazing week coming up um, of which this was just the beginning. So join us tomorrow at 5 Eastern time, 7 a.m. Brisbane, Australia time, Kate. And um, remember, until then, if you can't have fun, Kate, what can you do? In lieu of fun, you can still hang out with us. There you go. She got it. Sorry, I've been, I've really, I've screwed, I've fucked that up like eight times in a row. So, <laughs> thank you all. Max Faber. Max Faber. <laughs> Bye, guys. You know, Max Faber may well have died of the 1918 flu. We're going to so, go. John is going to start talking about hiking mm-hmm. again. We have to go. <laughs> right. Bye, guys. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye. Thanks. <laughs>